Well, welcome this morning. King David in Psalm 27.4 says, One thing have I asked for, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And that is indeed and has been my prayer for you all and myself as well. And uh, it is a joy and privilege to gather with you in the house of the Lord and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And these past several weeks, we have been, in fact, doing that. We've been gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, very specifically the beauty of the Lord that's demonstrated through His trials, through His testing, and through the temptations that are brought His way in Matthew chapter 4. And AV team, if you would, would you please show my first slide for me? Thank you. And it's interesting as we walk through this, the ways in which the Lord shows us and demonstrates most brilliantly His beauty, often it happens at the darkest of times. And often it happens during times of trials and testing and even temptation where the Lord demonstrates His beauty most clearly. And clearly the Lord Jesus Christ does that. He's showing us through this God's preparation of His Son for His gospel ministry. As we come to the rest of Matthew chapter 4, we'll see Jesus begins His public ministry as the light of the world. But it's before this, before the gospel ministry, that this trial, this testing, and these temptations from Satan come. And we see that God is preparing him for the gospel ministry, God the Father, necessarily preparing him for the gospel ministry, a ministry that is going to take Jesus all the way to the cross, what we sang about this morning. And as we consider our own lives, none of us, myself included, really wants trials, testing, or temptation. I would rather live without it. And yet we see in God's hands, this is what is necessary for His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and brothers and sisters, for us as well in preparation for what God has in store for us, for the ways in which we will serve and worship Him and be a strength and encouragement to others. There is no way around the cross. And as we've walked through this these past few weeks, we've seen Jesus demonstrates and makes very clear right from the beginning before even he has proclaimed the gospel in Israel. In Matthew chapter 4, he makes it very clear through these temptations, as we've seen, that he has not come for himself. He has not come to live for himself. He has not come to serve himself. He has come to give his life as a sacrifice and a substitute for unworthy sinners like you and I. And he has done this because this is what God's word has promised. And this is what Jesus shows us in Matthew chapter 4, even as he resists and overcomes every temptation that the devil throws at him. And as we come to the end of this section in verses 8 through 11, this includes arguably the greatest temptation of all. A temptation that has led God peoples astray from the beginning, 
and one, quite frankly, that hits close to home for Christians living in America and Christians living in Silicon Valley. It is the temptation of the world and all that it has to offer. Its wealth, its power, its might, its glory, what we refer to as success. And sadly, what many Christians find irresistible consistently makes its way into the headlines. And yet we see here as we come to the end of this section, this is very much the temptation that Jesus quite simply crushes. And how does he crush this temptation, the temptation of the world? We would do well to consider how he does this. And he does this not because he has everything this world has to offer, not because he has a great education career or has been to seminary. He does this and he crushes this temptation very simply with an uncompromising love for God, an uncompromising love for sinners like you and I, and an uncompromising faith in God's written word. Three things, quite frankly, that we seldom see, especially among Christian leaders and men who fill the pulpit. An uncompromising love for God, an uncompromising love for sinners, and an uncompromising faith in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus came and died on the cross. He came to give those very things to sinners like you and I. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Brothers and sisters, what we often lose sight of is that God keeps his word, every last word. And he gives us the opportunity to see his faithfulness and his love to us if 
we are willing to wait for him. And we see this, and Jesus demonstrates this as he comes to the end of this section, and he shows that everything that God has promised, including his perfect love and care for his children, he does in God's time and in God's way. The challenge, of course, for us is we struggle with that, don't we? Will we wait for the Lord? Or will we go for what is being offered in front of us? And this, of course, is always the challenge and the temptation that the devil brings. And so often what we find irresistible. And yet as we consider these words and we consider the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he shows us a different way, doesn't he? And he doesn't do it just for himself, brothers and sisters. He does this to provide us with a life that is like his. In 4th century AD, an Egyptian bishop faced a costly choice. Ignore or turn a blind eye to a popular teaching about Jesus. A popular teaching that was just a little bit different from what is written in God's Word. And if he could just ignore that and get on with his own ministry, everything would be fine. If he could just keep his mouth shut and not say anything, he could continue with a very successful ministry in a very successful city, Alexandria, famous library, one of the seven wonders of the world. Ignore and keep everything. Oppose this false teaching and lose just about everything except his life. And for this pastor, who was frequently mocked with the name the Black Dwarf because of his short stature and the color of his skin, we see that discrimination on race and color has a long history in the history of the church. But we also see where it comes from as well. For this pastor, the choice was simple. He would choose Jesus and he would choose God's word over the world. And in the years that followed, he would be exiled no less than five times by the church and by Rome and by the Roman emperor. And he would spend time, instead of living in Alexandria, living in the wilderness of Egypt. And if you've lived in the wilderness of Egypt, you know that is no joke. And as we consider this, we see the ways in which there have been men throughout the history of the church who have walked in the footsteps of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's from this man we get the saying or the lesson, Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world, because he was willing to stand against the world for the truth of who Jesus is and for the truth of the gospel. And it's a lesson in the way in which our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, continues to overcome the world through the lives of faithful believers who, just like their Lord and Savior, never lose sight of who Jesus is and never lose sight of what the gospel is according to God's word. Brothers and sisters, our lives and our churches sometimes are so distracted by so many good things that we lose sight of who Jesus is according to God's word and what the gospel is, what is most important. 
And as we come to this text, Matthew chapter 4, and we walk through these different temptations, and we come to the final temptation, the temptation of the world, we see that this is exactly the way in which Satan seeks to separate us from the love of the Father and from the good news of the gospel and to bring us into a place of discouragement and despair. It is by separating us from who Jesus is according to his word and separating us from the gospel. And this brings us to our first point for this morning. The devil aims to distract and raise doubts about the gospel. The devil aims to distract and raise doubts about the gospel. The devil's game plan has not changed since Genesis 3. It is very, very, very simple. He is a, as we would say, a master magician, a master con artist, a master deceiver and hustler. You separate someone from what is good or most valuable by distracting them. And as we come to this final temptation in Matthew 4 through 1 through 11, God shows us very clearly this is the way in which Satan strives to discourage and compromise God's children, beginning with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's trying to distract from the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It is God's promise to save his people from their sin. God's promise to save his people from their sin. How? It's very simple. By way of the cross, what we sang about this morning, it's through the death and resurrection of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And this is the divine promise that is birthed a Savior in a manger in Bethlehem. And it is this good news that has caused Jesus to live the life of a refugee or a fugitive in Egypt and then in Nazareth. And it is this good news that has led Jesus by the power of the Spirit into the wilderness. To suffer the hunger and weakness of men. And it is this good news and this divine promise that will lead Jesus and bring Jesus to the cross in Jerusalem where he will be crucified by Roman soldiers. And in verses 1 through 4, where does the devil begin his attacks and temptation? He begins first by mocking who Jesus is according to God's word. Brothers and sisters, how often are we made to feel ashamed or embarrassed because we are different, because we are Christians? Where does the devil begin his attacks and temptation? It begins by mocking who Jesus is according to God's word and focusing on what Jesus does not have because of the gospel. If you are the Son of God. And then the devil uses something as simple and harmless as bread in verse 3 to try to focus Jesus' attention on his suffering, what Jesus does not have because of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, how often are we discouraged and how often are we prone to temptation because of what we suffer or do not have because of God's word or the gospel? 
And then in verse 5 through 7, the devil uses God's house and God's word to try to focus Jesus' attention on how vulnerable and alone he is in God's house. How often have you felt lonely and alone and isolated in the household of God? Well, this is where the devil in verses 5 through 7 tries to focus Jesus' attention. His vulnerability and his isolation because of the gospel. And do you see, brothers and sisters, what the devil is trying to do here? And quite frankly, what he does in our lives as well. He is trying to use good things to distract Jesus from who Jesus is and from what he has come to do according to God's word. He's trying to distract Jesus from what matters most. The perfect love of the Father. A perfect love that is made perfect in the lives of humanity in our moments of weakness and frailty. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I will yet boast of my weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He's trying to get Jesus to focus on his suffering and what he does not have now because of the gospel rather than on what Jesus always has, which is the perfect love of the Father. What do you cherish most, brothers and sisters? What is of most value to you? Well, it's at this time and it's at this moment as Satan has tried to distract Jesus and to get his focus on what he does not have right now. I do not have a spouse. I do not have children. I do not have the marriage I want. I do not have the house I want. I do not have the church I want. I do not have the health or the life that I want. It's right at this moment when, in verse 8, the devil takes Jesus to show Jesus everything he can offer Jesus right here and right now. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And verse 8 begins with the word again. It's a reference to a repeated action, a pattern and a trend. And what is the pattern and the trend that the Holy Spirit is highlighting for us here? Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And then we drop to verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And we see the pattern here is the devil taking the beloved Son of God from a low place, from a place of weakness and frailty, from the wilderness, from a place of hunger. And he takes him from a low place to a high place to change Jesus' point of view and to get him to look down rather than up. We talked about this last week. But what I want you to notice here is typically God's pattern and the pattern of the gospel and the pattern that God has typically for his children living in this world is to humble us and take us to a low place in this world so that he can exalt us in due time in his kingdom. That's the pattern of the gospel, brothers and sisters, and it begins with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to take us and humble us and bring us low in this world so that we might be exalted with God in His world or His kingdom. And we see here the devil is doing exactly the opposite. 
Many of you have been following the Oscars, I assume, and the slap that was heard around the world. And what everybody applauds and what everybody looks to is our beloved Denzel saying to Will Smith, be careful at your highest moment, that's when the devil comes for you. In the Chin household, we're, we're big Denzel fans. We love Denzel. When I was in L.A., I even went to Denzel's church. Was disappointed he wasn't there, but they were really sweet and kind to me. And I loved my time there. But I didn't go for Denzel. I went for Jesus. But I want to make this point. Be careful at your highest moment. That's when the devil comes for you. But when we come to God's word, we see that the devil has a habit of not coming for us in our highest moments. He has a habit of coming to us, to us in our weakest moments when we're low. And he offers to give us a drive to a high place. He's willing to take us there. Expenses paid. He's willing to offer us a ticket to a higher and better life that will take us step by step by step away from the place that the Lord has led us to. When you're having hard times, when you're in a difficult place, certainly we want to consider first, is it my sin that brought me here? Are they worldly choices that have brought me low? But brothers and sisters, if it is by obedience to God's word and faithfulness to Christ, and it is very clear because of that, that you are in a place that is hard or difficult or seems to lack the whistles and bells of the world. Be mindful that this is where the Lord has brought you. And do not be hasty to jump at the first opportunity that offers you a ticket to a better place. How often, brothers and sisters, do we hear people say, the Lord blessed me because I was suffering and then I got this amazing job or this amazing person came into my life or this amazing A, B, C, D, and E. And we look at things that give us a ticket out of our suffering or our difficulties as a blessing from God. Well, be careful, brothers and sisters, and look closely and make sure it's not a counterfeit from the devil. In verse 8, the devil takes the Son of God, whom the gospel has brought down to earth, according to God's promise, and he places the beloved Son on top of the world, and he does so in order to show him, not some, but he does so in order to show him all the kingdoms of the world. He does so to give him a room with a view. It's interesting as we think of all the places that tickle our fancy when we think of vacations. And they are the places with the very, very best views. Well, this is what Satan gives to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All the kingdoms of the world, and this would have included Rome and Egypt and Asia, and not some, but all their glory, all their might, all their wealth, all their power. We could imagine that perhaps Jesus in one view would be offered the opportunity to see all seven wonders of the world. And we see, brothers and sisters, how does the devil prepare us for a fall? Well, he does it not in a moment. He does it by steps. 
step by step by distracting us from the gospel, distracting us from the love of God, getting us to focus on what we don't have, getting us to focus on ourselves, getting us to focus on our suffering, bringing us to the point of discouragement and forgetting and not remembering God's goodness in our lives or His perfect love. Getting us to look down rather than up. And then at that point, showing us everything this fallen world has to offer. And brothers and sisters, isn't that our social media? Isn't that our entertainment? Isn't that with which we focus so often in what is made so easily available to us every minute and every moment? Everything that you do not have, everything that you would like to have, everything that the world has to offer, everything that your neighbor has. Consider, brothers and sisters, what you look at, but consider even more what the devil is distracting you from. More often than not, it is the very thing that we need the most in difficult times to remember that we were bought with a price, to remember that God loves us perfectly, to remember that God makes no mistakes, to remember that God is doing a good work which He will finish, to remember that our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us and in due time will care for us and fulfill every last word He has promised. And this brings us to our next point. What's the devil up to? Well, the devil is offering a counterfeit gospel. It's what he always does. He tries to play God, and he tries to propose that he's going to give you the things of God. And the counterfeit gospel that he is offering to our Lord and Savior, and that he offers to you and I as well on a daily basis, are the kingdoms and the glories of this world without the cross. Verse 9 says, and he said to him, all these, not some, all these I will give you. And there are three things I want to draw your attention to with the devil's offer and his temptation. First, the devil no longer uses the words, if or since you are the son of God with this third temptation. He's moving past and he's shifting the focus from who Jesus is. In relation with God the Father, he's shifting the focus from the gospel. And he's shifting the focus on what God has promised. These things are no longer in the discussion. See how the devil moves step by step by step. To get us to the point where we forget who we truly are or what God has already done in our lives. And the devil is now setting the terms. He begins, if you are the son of God, bridging what God has said to Jesus. Well, remember what God said, you're the beloved son. Well, if you're the son of God. But now the devil is setting the terms and we see the gloves are off and we see that this is where the devil was always bringing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the devil works through triangulation. He doesn't reveal his plans up front. He moves in steps. And he begins with the familiar, and he begins with common ground, and he begins with things that sound like the gospel. But ultimately, like many imitators who are able to rhyme off verses in order to get what they want, he shows his true agenda. The devil is now setting the terms. And it's all about him and what he can accomplish and what he can give his way. 
Second thing I want you to notice about this temptation. What is the devil offering? He's offering to Jesus now what God's word has promised God's son at a later date. If you have your Bibles, have a look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 6. Psalm 2, verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Who's God talking about here? Immediately, the context is about David, but it is ultimately a prophecy about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as you walk through the Old Testament, you see repeatedly that God promises His Messiah, His suffering servant, His King, that all the nations of the world will come to Him and that He will one day reign. That's why the wise men come in the opening chapters of Matthew's Gospel. They're coming as a foreshadow and a fulfillment that the nations will come and bow at the feet of God's Son and God's King. This is a promise that God has given. But as we consider Genesis 3 and we walk through the rest of the Old Testament, you see that God has promised this by way of the cross. And as you come to Isaiah 53, which we sang through today in our second praise song, Man of Sorrows, really a paraphrase of Isaiah 53, God makes it clear as you walk all the way through that the exaltation is going to happen after he crushes his son for our iniquities, for our guilt, and for our sin. And this brings us to the third point I want you to notice about what Satan is offering. Satan, the God and ruler of this world, what is he offering? The devil is selling the price of glory rather than the cost of sin. The devil is selling the price of glory rather than the cost of sin. There's a frequent saying that we say to one another, no pain, no gain. There's no free lunch. All the things that we say that we have to pay in order to get something good or something of quality. Those don't come from the Bible, brothers and sisters. In verse 9, Satan said, and it says, And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. In the ancient Near East, that language, falling down and worship, was about paying homage, pledging allegiance, swearing loyalty, and giving your life to serve a new master. And this is what all the prior temptations have been leading up to. It's what is called in Scripture idolatry, serving something or someone other than God, your career, your job, your family, your education, your expectations for your family, whatever you desire, anything other than God, serving, pledging allegiance, being loyal to. When push comes to shove, this is what makes the decisions in your life. And we see here what Satan is offering is a counterfeit gospel. Jesus, I will give you what God has promised. I will give you the nations. 
all that they have, except I'm going to give them to you, not later, I can give them to you now. And I can give them to you in a way where you do not have to suffer and you do not have to go to the cross. What do you have to do? You just have to do it my way rather than the way of God's word. A counterfeit gospel offering you all that God has already promised, offering you salvation, but instead of a cross and instead of faith in God's word, a transaction, a trade, an exchange. If you give me this, I'll give you this. Brothers and sisters, God and the gospel does not work that way. You cannot pay God enough to forgive you of your sins. What the devil is bypassing is the cost of sin. The cost of sin is a life for a life. It is the holiness of God that has been trampled on and thrown underfoot. I use this illustration frequently. When we have conflicts and unkind words are said, are you able to take those words back? By saying sorry, are you able to remove the hurt and the offense that has happened in a relationship? Are you capable and able of remaking and re-earning and resetting the trust that has been broken in that relationship? Well, you're a fool if you think you can. Live long enough, be married long enough, spend enough time in a family, and you will see that you cannot. The cost of sin, brothers and sisters, is far too high. And the belief and the hustle that there is something that you can do or say or accomplish in order to make things right, earn your salvation, accomplish what is needed to make things right, is folly. Now that sounds obvious, does it not? And yet, brothers and sisters, we buy that hook, line, and sinker in our homes, our marriages, our education with our children, our families, and the church. The social gospel movement. Black Lives Matter. Liberation theology. Church planting programs. Missions. All of these places that if we just do it this way, or if we just did this, or if we just planted more churches, or if we just built bigger hospitals, or if we just did it in a different way, things would be good, we would be successful, the church would grow, people would get saved, God's will will be accomplished. Doesn't God want big churches? Doesn't God want excellent programs? Doesn't God want to end hunger? You think of all the movements in this world, ending systemic racism, ending world hunger, ending all the murders and atrocities that come from war. Yes, those are good things, brothers and sisters. Yes, in fact, God has promised he will accomplish these things. You read through the prophets you read through Isaiah, there is coming a time where Christ will bring his kingdom and there will be an end of sorrow and there will be no more tears shed. And we will see that even conflict and predatory behavior among animals will be done away with. It's all promised in God's word. But how is that to be accomplished? 
Jeremiah 31. The only way that that can be accomplished is if sin is conquered, the price is paid, forgiveness is brought, and the world and our hearts are given a completely new start where the price of sin has been paid. Brothers and sisters, Satan is offering a gospel without a cross. And sadly, the history of the church, by and large, and the history of America and American politicians and pastors is we are buying that gospel hook, line, and sinker. Hebrew scholar, excuse me, New Testament scholar R.T. France says, simple, the simple temptation that is being offered is one of allegiance, the offer of a right ending by the wrong means, a temptation of some other way than the cross. A New Testament scholar Morris says, many who profess to follow the Christ have purchased their own empires at the cost of the acceptance of evil. It is the spirit of pragmatism. Be practical. Be realistic. The ends justify the means. And brothers and sisters, any path apart from the gospel, the good news of what God has done to save sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news of a righteousness that is given by faith and not works, the good news of a life of Christ that is given in exchange for all that we are, all that we can accomplish, all that we can do. Anything apart from the good news of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is the way of the world and the way of the devil and a counterfeit gospel. It is narrow. How often, brothers and sisters, have we turned a blind eye because of how successful a ministry or a person or a place or a career is. It does not begin in the White House, brothers and sisters. It begins in our hearts, and it begins in our homes, and it begins in our families, and it begins in our churches, where we look and are more than willing to look for a better way apart from the cross. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. Jesus is the faithful Son of God according to God's Word. And He is the faithful Son of God who shows us that His worship leads to the cross. God's first human son, Adam, opted for a kingdom apart from God's Word. God's adopted son, Israel, chose the nations of this world. All they wanted was a king like all the other nations. All they wanted was a trade and a kingdom like all the other nations. All they wanted was everything the world had to offer. Brothers and sisters, even the disciples were lured in by a false gospel. In Matthew 16, 22, as Jesus explains that he must go to the cross. It is Peter, the leader of the disciples, who has just confessed Jesus as Lord, who says to his Lord and Savior, Lord, far be it from you. You can't do this. 
to which Jesus responds with the exact same words, upage, be gone away from me, Satan. You have your mind on the things of men rather than the things of God. And as we look at the history of the church from the Vatican to our programs and to any number of different megachurches and small churches alike, we see that the propensity of our hearts, brothers and sisters, is to sell the future of the cross for a world and for a kingdom today. But as we come to the end of this passage, there is good news. Where you and I have failed, Christ has succeeded. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20. And it's in this way, brothers and sisters, that Jesus shows us Though Satan tries to tempt him, he cannot be tempted by bread when he is hungry and suffering. He cannot be tempted by all the kingdoms and glories of this world. He cannot be tempted to doubt God's love even when his life is in danger. And one day he will indeed provide bread for his people. And one day, indeed, he will provide life when his children are threatened. And one day, he indeed will rule the nations. And he will stand on a mountain and he will say, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go and make disciples. But brothers and sisters, when does he do that? He does everything that the devil offers and more, but he does it, brothers and sisters, by way of the cross. Through humiliation, through rejection, through persecution, all unjust, and ultimately through giving his life as a ransom for sinners like you and I. And as we see this, we see that every step of the way, that though he is tempted, he cannot be tempted. Why? Because he is the faithful Son of God, who perfectly loves God the Father, who perfectly loves sinners like you and I, and who is uncompromising in his faith in every word that God has promised. And it is in this way that Jesus perseveres from the beginning through to the end. Craig Keener writes, God promises triumph to those who persevere in testing. Brothers and sisters, how do we persevere in testing? How do we get through when we fail in all these ways that Christ succeeds? Well, the answer, brothers and sisters, is simple. The Lord has to come into our lives, and frequently He has to humble us, and frequently He has to strip us of the things that we attach so much esteem to in this world. Frequently He has to come in and maybe even break our hearts. The Lord has to come in and humble us. So that we can begin to see that what we need most 
is not everything that this world has to offer on a computer screen or on a TV, but so that we can begin to see that what we need most is the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His cross. And brothers and sisters, when we begin to see by God's grace and His humbling in our lives, that that is the one thing we need, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His cross, because we are such wretched sinners and we are totally depraved and there is nothing we can do in exchange for the goodness of God. When we begin to see that, Brothers and sisters, we begin to see the good news of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. This is the reason why when we get to the apostles, they say friendship with the world is enmity with God. And they warn us, do not love the world or the things in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Because this is the very thing that the gospel saves us from, brothers and sisters. And it saves us for something far better. It saves us for the perfect love of God and Christ. Let me close with this. When the first generation of Israelites came to the promised land, Moses chose 12 spies to go into the land to see what they were up against. And those spies came back and said, yes, it's wonderful. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's everything the Lord has promised. But the men are giants. And they looked at themselves and they looked at the enemy and they said, we can't accomplish this. And there were only two men who held fast. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. And how did Joshua and Caleb hold fast? And stand for what is true and be uncompromising to the word of God and their Lord. It was not based on what they brought to the table. It was by remembering what the Lord had done in their lives. And by remembering what the Lord had done and said, by faith, they were able to stand where other men fell. This morning, brothers and sisters, we come to the Lord's table. And the purpose of the Lord's table is to help God's children through the presence of Christ and through the symbols of his death and resurrection remember what God has done and therefore to remember who we are and therefore not to be distracted by the petty things of this world but instead to have the courage and faith to go forward until the Lord brings us into the promised land. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you died so that we might live and that we might live in victory over temptation and sin, not because of us, but because of you. Thank you for these things. In your name we pray, amen.